Hello, my name is Mark Gibson, and you're listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost series, a weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. You're welcome to uh, today's Signpost webinar, which is brought to you by Chagask in collaboration with the National Rural Network, Food Drink Ireland, Skillnet and Dairy Sustainability. My name is Mark Gibson, and today I'm also joined by Pat Murphy, who is the head of the Chagask Environment Knowledge Transfer Programme. And Pat, uh, you'll be helping us with the questions later. So uh, today uh, we are going to continue our discussions around water quality and in particular how we value our water resources. And I'm delighted to be joined by Bernie O'Flaherty, who is coordinator of the border and western regions with the local authorities waters program, also known as Law Pro. Bernie, good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Pat. Good morning, everybody. You're very welcome to the Signpost webinar. And, and Bernie, you have had uh, a, a long experience working with uh, the farming uh, community, rural community, on protecting water quality uh, and, and at, the, at the coalface. Uh, could you tell us a bit about the work you've been doing over your years with Law Pro and maybe even before that? Um, well, at the moment, for the last five years, I've been working with the Law Pro programme. And I've been involved in the community engagement team, the communities team, and also in the role of coordinator for the regional committees for the border and west, and uh, looking after the general programme. Uh, prior to that, I spent over 30 years with Monmouth County Council, and that was more a regulatory role, and it was dealing with all types of pollution, our rivers, our lakes, um, etc. So um, that I suppose I've learned a lot and we, we would have uh, had particular farm engagement programs, programs to try and deal with the particular challenges in these Drummond counties at that stage. And then myself, I come from a farming background and I think that has really been really important to me in the work I've done because it just gives me a little bit better understanding um, of people and uh, the situations we're dealing with. Very good. Well... Bernard, we know each other a long time now, so it's uh, I'm really delighted to have you here today because um, it, it, you know, your experience in in valuing this this resource, and you're going to talk to us about that, and also you're going to give us a little bit of a better understanding of the, the sort of architecture around water protection in 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 Ireland. So, if you could share your screen with us, and um, just while you're doing that, to remind everybody, if you do have a question for. Uh, Bernie, you can use the Q&A tab at the bottom of your screen. Bernie, we'll hand over to you. Okay, uh, well, good morning, everybody, and thanks for the invitation to talk today. I'm going to talk about the challenge of understanding and valuing water, uh, because with all my years in the area, I feel there's, there's, there's a fundamental issue with regard to how we understand and value our waters. And I think we really need to, to um, work on that if we are to bring about the changes we need. Just initially, I'm going to just give a little refresh or overview of the Local Authority Waters Programme and mention water quality. Uh, you've had uh, recent speakers from Jenny Deacon and the EPA, so I'm just going to touch on some of the EPA information. I'm going to talk about catchment management and some thoughts on valuing and understanding our waters. I'm going to talk about the work we've been doing to engage communities in our programme. And I'm going to dip back then into my previous career and I'm going to look at a farm survey case from County Monaghan. I'm going to look at some tools and uh, concepts around um, 
uh, catchment management to help us better understand it, and then I'll, I'll finish up. So initially, just the EU Water Framework Directive. Um, uh, we're currently in a river basin management plan, the second cycle. It's coming to a conclusion now in 2021, and we're preparing for the next cycle. This all stems from the Water Framework Directive. Um, and basically, one of the key objectives of the directive is to achieve good ecological status in all waters by 2027. And that's fairly challenging, very ambitious, but there's a lot going on behind the scenes. Uh, the plan developed a new approach this time around, and our programme was part of this new approach. And also, you'll have probably heard about the Chagas Passive programme uh, that is also part of the new approach, and we're working closely with that programme. So what does the programme look like? Um, we are hosted in uh, 13 different local authority offices and we are a local authority shared service. We also support the new governance structures here on the right and we're funded by the Department of Housing, uh, Local Government and Heritage. Now I'm not going to go through the governance structures here, they are complicated, but really what this new governance structure facilitates it facilitates sort of a bottom-up, top-down approach, and we have the regional structures within the local authorities, and they're feeding into various uh, structures along the way. The important thing about this structure is the two-way arrows and uh, uh, the conversations that are going on. One of the main, the first things community said to us when we began to engage back in 2016 was there's a lack of joint-up thinking. And this new approach is to address the joint-up thinking. And this just gives a flavour of some of the bodies that are involved in terms of implementing bodies. So it's all about working together to improve water quality. So just looking a little bit more closely with ourselves, the Local Authority Waters Programme, we have two teams. We have a communities team which came together in 2016 and the core of that is 13 community water officers and three regional managers. Key role is to encourage communities to value water in their catchment and to participate in actions to protect water. We have a second team then, catchment assessment team, and they come on board in 2018. And there's 37 science staff involved there, and they're looking at scientific assessments, identifying the right measure in the right place to help improve water. So uh, just look at the catchment assessment team a little bit more uh, uh, in detail. Uh, they're out on the rivers, they're walking the rivers, they're testing the rivers, they're, they're up, upgrading and improving the science at local level. And they're doing this in 190 priority areas for action, which are outlined in the plan. And in terms of um, agriculture, uh, where the pressures are identified with agriculture, uh, then they refer the, the, the areas to the ASIP programme. And then that's where the ASIP advisors come in and they have their farmers meeting, streamside meeting, and then they do farm-to-farm uh, -farm engagement with the farmers involved. Now, I'm just going to move on now just to water quality and just introduce, give a little uh, refresh on water quality. And <clears throat> this slide, uh, what's important here is on the left-hand side, you can see over the years, from 2007 to 2009, a decline, it, it, sorry, from 2007, the graphs go right up to 2018, it covers that period. So what's of concern in the left-hand bars is the decline in our high status waters. Uh, this has been very significant and we're losing the best of the best and this is a real concern. 
What's also happening over on the right hand side is our level of poor water quality is increasing. So in terms of the Water Framework Directive, we're going in the wrong direction. So the EPA have also done analysis on the significant pressures on the at-risk water bodies. So in terms of those water bodies that we hope to get back to good status or with a good status objective, excess nutrients is number one pressure, followed then by morphology and organic pollution. In terms of our, what would have been termed maybe by some our pristine waters or our high status water, high status objective waters, and the number one pressure is morphology. And that's changes to the shape or the bed of the rivers. And again, nutrients and then hydrology relates to the flows. <clears throat> so I suppose we're looking at trends. Now the EPA have done some work on the significant pressures looking between the second and third cycle. And over here on the left, uh, agriculture is a pressure uh, in now a thousand of the at-risk water bodies. And I think what's of real concern is the increase in this level of at-risk water bodies due to agriculture. Um, the evidence-based use for the two periods for the second and third cycle is the same for agriculture. There are increases in the hydromorphology and um, the urban runoff pressures, but uh, the baseline there of what's been compared, uh, there's, there's additional science uh, added in there. So I suppose it's, it's a real concern, the changes in agriculture. So the solution uh, to solving difficult problems and in particular our water quality problems is an integrated catchment management approach. Uh, to solve this problem, it's been described as a wicked problem. Uh, like some of our big environmental problems, they're very complex. Problems are multi-sectoral, problems are interrelated. Water quality abstraction and flooding can all interrelate. In terms of policies, there's difficulties in terms of policies and conflicting policies, competing between rural priorities and jobs and the environment. But I suppose the situation has now changed. We realize in terms of our planet and our national policies, we do need to change. We need to address some of these environmental challenges. <clears throat> Governments alone can solve the problem. We need both a top-down and bottom-up approach. Uh, we need collaboration and coordinated response because uh, it's multi-sectoral, the problem is multi-sectoral. And we also need a broad society response. We need to bring people along with us. So the challenge is how do we get the wider public buy-in? And in particular, I'd suggest that the agricultural se se sector is really critical to success. Unless we get changes there, we're not going to address our water biodiversity and climate problems. So if I asked you to talk about water, water, to think about water or water management, I mean, everybody in the room could have a different area of interest or aspect. So it, it just goes to show when, you know, water itself is a really simple molecule, but when we go to try and manage it, it really is quite complex. So <clears throat> some words of wisdom on community engagement from Bob Harris in the UK. And he was suggesting, he suggests that the uh, starting point for the bottom-up approach to catchment management are the issues that people identify with. Issues around water quality, like phosphates and pesticides, these can be detached issues for communities. 
government priorities are not always community priorities. And there's no um, blueprint for engagement. But as I say, we found that, uh, that Bob's suggestions were very useful. <clears throat> now, when we go out and ask people, uh, started uh, doing presentations, we get varied responses. I remember giving a talk in Drogheda with a colleague one time or loud somewhere, and we talked about water quality and somebody said, so what? I mean, um, that set us thinking on, on our messaging and um, helped us inform for the, for the next sessions. But there is a lot of that attitude out there. So what to our environment? I've heard somebody else say, oh, I can't listen to, to this anymore. It's, 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 can't get my head around it. And they switch channels, they turn off. Maybe we're giving too many do's and don'ts messages that we're not um, uh, bringing people around in a different way. Some people then said, God, I never thought about a river. And we're working with some of these people at the moment. And then you have the passionate people who've been interested in, in nature and biodiversity for years. And they've waited years for these conversations to start. So I'm just going to move on now to valuing water and, and ask, do we really value our water resources? And do, do we promote these values? It, Ireland is, 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 is a water-rich country. We've good soils and the fact that it rains, we can produce, we can grow grass and we can produce food. And we know we're tops, one of the tops at this. So water, our plentiful supply of water supports our food production systems. Our agri-industry is very water demanding. And water then itself is part of our own basic life support system. We wouldn't live long without clean, fresh water. Do we value our water resources for our health and well-being? Water is a food, but water comes from our rivers, lakes, and groundwater. That's the same landscape that we're farming for our food. So we need also to be farming for our water. We know our blue flag beaches, uh, we can be prone to contamination issues on our blue flag beaches. And these are really important for local communities and our tourism. And our shellfish industry, again, in near shore waters is dependent on rivers delivering clean water uh, into the, the estuaries and bays. Do we value the plentiful supply of water we have? When we look at the global situation, we're very lucky. It takes 25 to 50 litres of water free from harmful contaminants to meet a person's daily, basic daily needs. But millions don't have access to clean, safe drinking water supplies. In Ireland, we have our water on tap. But few people could say where their water comes from. And, and some wonder, do we really care? The Heritage Council um, looked at the water situation a number of years ago, and they suggested that in Ireland, our water is so good and plentiful that we take it for granted. We fail to see that our water is a precious resource that needs to be safeguarded. So I suppose my question is, do we value our water resources sufficiently to take the right actions to protect them? And uh, just quoting somebody here, we get what we value. So we really need to value these. Now I'm just moving on here now to the RSI are doing a, a number of research programs at the moment, and this whole area is being researched. Um, and they have looked at the external factors and the internal factors that influence behavior. So regulation here is one of the key external factors. And maybe from when I started going back a number of years, maybe we depended too much on regulation 
and we didn't address some of the other factors. So the internal factors that need to be addressed to influence behaviour are our beliefs, our values and our attitudes. And of course then, our environmental knowledge. The behaviour change methods they, dis they discuss are education awareness, but they do point out that information alone is not sufficient. So in our programme, we have elements of outreach and relationship building, and we feel this is really important, and then developing social influence the peer-to-peer -peer learning is very important for us. So I just want to introduce the concept of water literacy. I'm adopting text from the Irish Ocean Literacy Network. And they talk, I've, I've replaced ocean with water here. So a water literate society is one which understands water's influence on us and vice versa. And a water literate citizen understands the importance of water to humankind, can communicate about water in a meaningful way, and can make informed and responsible decisions regarding water resources. And I think that this is the kernel of the issue that we need to ensure we have this in place. So are there opportunities, I would ask, to strengthen our community and our agricultural training and engagement areas to build this understanding? Now I'm moving now to our own programme. <clears throat> And we found some opportunities. There were some challenges, as I mentioned earlier. <clears throat> so what? But we found an appetite for information and involvement. There's a new interest across uh, on environmental matters across society. And obviously, people look at climate, biodiversity, and water nearly all together. That's what we find with communities. We have a new fund. To, to help engage, and that's been really important. And we have a really good team on the ground with a range of background and skills. We identified synergies with the work of the Department of Rural and Community Development, the public participation networks that have been set up recently, and the leader programme, where, where we, we noted that they had 5 million available for water conservation projects and 8 million for biodiversity over the 2014-20 period. We also developed a partnership with the Rivers Trust, so we're bringing in learnings from the UK as well to our programme. So in terms of our own community engagement programme or processes, this has evolved over the years and a lot of this has been learned by doing and, and taking guidance from where we could get it. There was no, no blueprint uh, starting out. So as I say, many people we've, we've met uh, never thought about their river before. So we're starting new conversations with people. A lot of these conversations are down by the riverside <clears throat> or lakeside, and we're building a connection with our waters, our local land environment and our local landscape. And this is really important to people. We're also trying to build trust in the science and the new approach. And as we work with communities, uh, build trust in new relationships with public bodies. We're developing a community around water by bringing like-minded people together or facilitating them coming together. And this pride and understanding, this um, pride of place is very important in Ireland. <laughs> so we're encouraging further knowledge. Some of the groups want to do more. And so in terms of further knowledge, uh, we have directed them towards training and citizen science. And this is to encourage informed action understanding the issue and its impacts. In 2021, 
Um, thanks to um, my colleague Fran I, who is spearheading it, along with some of our community's team, to develop uh, further training tools so that we can uh, promote training, further community training on water biodiversity in 2021-22 with leader companies. And this is already gaining traction and we're very happy with the, with the pace this is going at. And we also have our Working with Water and Biodiversity guidance, a guidebook for communities that suggests many projects that they can undertake. <clears throat> and again, a few communities then have developed further. And there's, we, we want to support this type of stewardship. And again, some of the stronger communities that have built up knowledge and experience are very good at engaging with local landowners and undertaking local projects. You can see here on the left, Inishon Rivers Trust has undertaken a, a bank erosion a problem to solve the problem with the local community. And we're beginning to bring these communities together then, and they're beginning to share their knowledge. As I say, we, we, we work in different ways to support community involvement, and we work with others who are also involved in the community area. There's training up here in County Leitrim, um, again, looking at the, the bugs in the river here, because the bugs in the river can tell us about water quality. The Inishon uh, Rivers Trust also rolled out a River Guardian programme, which I think is maybe particularly interest to the audience. Um, and this was funded through the LEADER programme. Um, so there was all sorts of uh, certification courses as part of this, chainsaw certification, invasive species control, bank erosion control, and then this river fly monitoring and being able to uh, characterize your local stream. Federation of group, group Water Schemes are doing great work in terms of trying to protect their sources. And in a couple of the supplies that are impacted by pesticides, we're helping to fund the Let It Be initiative in those uh, uh, supplies with the Federation. We're also involved with the GA. GA have come, come on board this year with a Green Clubs initiative. It was launched actually in December 2020. And they're looking at the sustainable development goals. So obviously one, water is one of those and we're supporting that initiative. So in, in terms of our community engagement, <clears throat> we've uh, over 350 communities that have engaged uh, you know, over a period of time with us. And what's interesting to us when we did a recent breakdown is that a lot of the traditional community groups, tidy towns, the development associations and general community groups are engaging with the program. Um, we also have um, the catchment uh, trusts, uh, the, the catchment associations, the river trusts. Uh, some of my colleagues are working with EIP projects. Uh, we've engagement too with the group water scheme sector and various river and lake groups around angling groups and environmental groups. So really a broad mix across society, which is good. We have three years of Community Water Development Fund mapped here. Uh, we have to map up our uh, this year's uh, grant, but we've over 446 uh, Community Water Development Fund grant awards to date uh, to communities. So it's important then what we notice is that the projects are increasing in technical nature, so becoming more directly relevant to the water quality. So what are we trying to do with the programme? Obviously, we want to address Article 14 of the Water Framework Directive, and it talks about consultation, information and involvement. So it's about giving communities a, vo a, a voice. So when it comes to the new plan, we'll be organising the local consultations 
and facilitating submissions. Um, we promote active involvement, and this is through events and our projects, which I've described. And it's all about, as they engage with these uh, projects, etc., they build capacity and build their environmental knowledge. And as they're doing projects, they need to engage with the local wildlife ranger or the fisheries officer, so building uh, relationships with local public bodies. So additionally, a lot of these communities are already involved in the public participation networks, and there's an environmental linkage group. And they may sit on these and the strategic policy committees of the local authorities. So they're beginning to have capacity then to inform local plans and projects. But we're very much in the infancy. This is a, a, a long game, so it is a work in progress. So I'm going to move over now back to my experience uh, in farmer engagement. And just uh, it is, this is a case study and it's from a regulatory approach uh, back in Monaghan. <clears throat> so we had a number of water supplies that were impacted. Uh, so we, 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 we organized catchment surveys uh, in the water supply. We decided to do it sort of at arm's length, length from our regulatory approach and it was consultant led. And this was back in 2016. We did a little bit of an extra analysis on the figures coming back from this, so I present them here today. With 342 pre-announced farm surveys, we determined that 53% of them, or the consultant did, were satisfactory. They got a clear inspection. 22% had minor issues, and 24% had what we would call um, good agriculture practice non-compliance, or aspects of environmental land condition, poaching, etc. And these were identified as issue posing risks to waters. We found that the average, average storage capacity back then in 2006 was good, average of 28 weeks. Um, but common issues that we came across were inadequate separation of clean and soiled waters, heavily soiled yards, and poaching. And these were uh, management issues rather than structural issues. Now, what we did find as a follow-up to the consultant survey, every farmer got uh, informed of the situation, got a letter, and uh, they were told we would follow up uh, where the 24% non-compliances were noted. We found that with low-level enforcement, 77% um, of those with non-compliances resolved the issues. That was followed up by local authority visit and uh, advisory uh, work. Less than 4% of farms uh, resulted in enforcement action, and this was legal notices and cross-reports to Department of Agriculture. So the learnings from our case study, well, we got the IFA involved at an early stage, and the IFA, IFA um, the Irish Farmers Association, they hosted a public farmers meeting, and they introduced the consultants and ourselves, and they asked for cooperation uh, among, among the uh, farmers in the catchment. We had excellent participation. Uh, what's also of interest is that even though there were pre-announced surveys, yet still there's significant levels of poor practices posing risk to waters. So we determined maybe the farmer wasn't necessarily seeing the yard the same way we would see them from a water quality perspective, and perhaps there's learnings there. 10% of the reps farms were unsatisfactory. Uh, but we did know there's a potential for quick wins and improve farmyard management. And as I say, with a, a bit of advice and a um, bit of engagement, we were able to achieve that. But 
um, there was a requirement for a regulatory and enforcement measures uh, up the scale as well. There was a, a general willingness to do what's right. But in, in general terms, we found with the agricultural community, there's a lack of awareness. They wouldn't realise they're in worse by catchment, for instance. There's a willingness there, but we felt an insufficient understanding of the impact of their practices could have on waters. So I'm just going to now touch on some aspects of catchment management for farming community environmental knowledge or the water literacy could be strengthened. So the importance of small streams. Small streams really matter. People are very careful if they're living or working along the main river channels, but our small streams are neglected. Our small streams are living systems. They're not just channels to convey water. So we need to protect and improve them for water quality, that gives biodiversity gain and climate gain. You can see a restored river here in Donegal, nice vegetation, nice habitat variation, a bit of partial shading from the vegetation, nice healthy stream. On the other hand here at the development site, <coughs> and you can see a damaged river corridor. The morphology has changed here. Over the years, the river has been straightened, the bed has been dug out, and in this case, the bank has been destabilized and the bank has slumped into the river here in the foreground. The vegetation has been removed in this section. So it's moved from what was a nice trout stream to a less healthy uh, river corridor. But we're seeing this right around the country. The value of our wetlands is often neglected and these are really important for climate resilience. So before Storm Eleanor, I'm showing you wetland here in Monaghan, but these are really important features because they act as sponges in the landscape for storing storm water. You can see after Storm Eleanor here, it's filled up and it gradually releases that water back to the rivers. So that takes the peak off the flood. But in the last 200 years, Ireland has lost 77% of our wetlands. So another really important concept is this source pathway receptor model. So the receptor in terms of a river or a lake or groundwater, if that becomes contaminated, it's very hard to resolve that problem. But what we can do is we can look at the source, can we control the source, or we can break the pathway. And often I think there's great scope to get the basics right. So diffuse pollution is now better understood and uh, land losses uh, how they move over the land and the delivery points to water is now available on a new mapping system. So this allows targeted measures to break the pathway of pea and sediment runoff and the potential to use nature-based solutions. And Jenny Deacon presented a couple of weeks ago and she mentioned various methods that could be employed. On the picture here on the right, you can see a delivery point to water. And again, this is where a solution should be focused. Improving land management practice can help reduce the source or break the pathway as well. Obviously, we have a really bad situation on the left, a ring feeder uh, uh, draining into a, a stream. Uh, below that again, um, sediment. Sediment is a much bigger issue than that, that we're, fi we're finding it's a much bigger issue than thought originally. But a lot of areas, maybe from farm tracks, uh, building sites, as I shown earlier, um, feeding areas, etc village lands, we can get where we remove the buffering capacity of the rivers, we can get these very heavy flows of sediment into the river. In the middle then, we have a 
badly constructed farm drain, not to standard. And you can imagine if this field, it's obviously a damp field, if it gets sprayed for with herbicide at some stage or nutrients, we know there's a direct pathway into our water course. So we're not um, using um, river, um, we're not using field margins and practices to prevent these problems. Common issues uh, we've mentioned before occurring, poor separation of clean and soil waters and heavily soil, soil yard from our case studies. Uh, but we can, we can fairly easily address leaky farmyards. Um, so we have to consider a farm with its drainage to be a tributary of the stream. And you can see then farmers can put practices in place in terms of cleaning the yards, uh, because if there's a drain there leading to the stream, prevent the runoff. So it's easy to mop up some of the leaky farm situations or maybe it needs more effort. Now this, I'm nearly finished. <clears throat> so it's really about working with nature and nature does offer us an assimilative capacity. And this is a concept we used when we were looking at discharge licenses to rivers. Our, our river's natural background levels of say phosphorus are really quite low. We call it down here at the blue level, maybe 10, 15 parts per billion. But the threshold then to good status waters, which is around 35 parts per billion, we have a reasonable threshold there, and this is called headroom. Um, so what we should do for managing our waters is maintain the headroom for economic development, sustainable agriculture, and the necessary wastewater treatment infrastructure. But what's happening in practice is we're wasting this headroom with poor practices right across all sectors. So concluding, just to conclude, um, just to say I found working with communities um, and our communities team really rewarding and it's inspiring at times. We have to take on board that water management is complex and needs varied tools of engagement. Information alone is not good enough or information booklets. It, what I'm hearing the feedback is discussion groups, these riverside workshops, these are really valuable uh, to engage people. I really pe believe we have to get people out on the river, out on the land, uh, some experiential learning to really learn about nature and biodiversity in these complex issues. We need to strengthen our environmental knowledge. And this is really necessary for decision-making. Decline in water quality needs to be addressed urgently. And it does need the right combination of regulation, advice, land use measures, incentives, and voluntary action. And I know there's a lot of discussion around this at the moment. But by building a better understanding of our rivers and lakes is really fundamental across society to bring about change. Uh, thank you for listening. And I'd like to thank my colleagues for their contributions over the years too. Thank you, Bernie. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, it's really refreshing to, to uh, kind of go back to first principles in a way um, to, to really think about, well, why, why are we and why is there a need to protect water quality? Because I think sometimes we do skip over that question at times and uh, we, we kind of skip straight through the, to the measures. This is what we need to do. And this is, uh, you know, what we need to implement. And uh, it, it, I think that's, that, that term you use, water literacy, is really important. And I was just thinking as you were speaking there about how we're all very literate when it comes to talking about vaccinations and uh, variants and so forth over the last uh, 12 to, to 18 months. 
wouldn't wouldn't it be wonderful if everybody was uh, uh, at the same uh, status of of knowledge around water quality as they are about vaccinations? Maybe there's there's learnings there. Um, but talking about that experiential learning, uh, you obviously you quoted so many different uh, examples of what's happening across the country. I know the the ASAP program in particular. The feedback I'm getting from advisors is the the the, uh, the feedback from farmers is that you know that there's really a, a, a huge uh, how would you call it a huge acknowledgement of. Uh, the, the importance of, of uh, the ecological status of waters and, and I suppose those, those categories that you outlined there, the, the soquash or the, the switch channels, or I think a lot of people are probably in that category. I, I never thought about a river. Um, you know, how, how do we move people uh, from those, uh, those, those different uh, ch- channels or different uh, status points? I mean, you've talked about a lot around the 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 education and and but connecting with those people maybe those what we sometimes call the hard to reach uh, people how do we get uh, them involved because sometimes they're they're not the sort of people that would necessarily join up with a, a community group or, or um, you know a wider a wider organization as such yeah well just from my experience um, I suppose farmers shall we say in terms of farmers, uh, just answer it, um, they deal with a lot of people and I know Chagas have done research before and you've outlined they don't necessarily trust or like dealing with public officials, um, but they do deal with people, they deal with contractors, they deal with their agricultural advisors, what we call all these trusted intermediaries, maybe their fertilizer um, salesman. So what we need is that water literacy is out there in among the trusted intermediaries so that they're delivering the same messages as uh, what we, we need the farmers to understand. So I think it's it, we need a wider approach and that's why this, this water literacy is important. It's, it's across, across all the people who are involved. Um, it's no point asking the farmer uh, to take action. Um, if everybody else is in it on a different page. And I think there's a lot of scope. I'm, I'm listening back to, to uh, some of the ASAP advisors and the findings and the local authority people on the ground. Um, slurry spreading, for instance, um, maybe 50% of it is delivered by contractors, but what training have they got? You know, that could be a real easy win in terms of, we know that slurry spreading in poor conditions is a real concern to local authorities uh, and to, to, to water providers. So there's a lot of gains, as shall we say, in the trusted intermediaries to, to bring people delivering the same messages. If we agree in principle nationally that we need to address these issues, if it's of value, if it's important, then we need everybody who's engaging in, the, in that middle area also be talking off the same hymn sheet. I'm glad you've brought that point up because that's actually one of the, the main objectives of the Chagas Connected program is to engage with those intermediaries. And already we are working with a lot of drainage contractors through a, a QQI training course in drainage, but it's, it's, I suppose, reducing the barriers to accessing that training in itself. 
and uh, we have done work with the contractors, but uh, I'd very much like to expand on that. And also we are in discussions with the co-ops in relation to uh, the, the, the sales of fertilizers and, and how we can uh, improve the knowledge there of uh, sales representatives within uh, the agri-food sector. So uh, very, very, very much in, in line with what we're trying to achieve. But of course, we need to, we need to scale that up and we need to get that get dripping off the the the, uh, the tongues of everybody the, the importance of water quality uh pat some interesting questions coming in there for bernie um some around the funding side of things as well i notice you're on mute there pat apologies there, there's one kind of overriding theme in 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 the the question and it, in the questions and it's a kind of in that blame culture piece and the, what about the other areas that are uh, uh, leading to the problems um, is and, and do you come across and, and how do you deal with the issue of, of kind of deflecting to all of the other problems rather than dealing with the problems that you might have some control over yourself and accepting the, the, the problems that are there? How do you go about dealing with that? Um, that's a difficult one, yes. You know, when we, I suppose, engaged initially at, at, at open meetings with farmers, and the first thing they'd want to know about was the local wastewater treatment plant. And, and we do need to have our facts and figures there and be honest if there is problems and what's being done to address them. I suppose going into a meeting, you need to, engaging, you need to have everything on the, on the table, first of all, and discuss what's happening in various areas. And then we need to hone in to people's particular area of interest or where they where they can impact and influence water themselves. So I think it just means to widening the conversation initially and looking at what is being done in the various sectors. And um, and then honing back in then to the to the issue um, that you're trying to focus on at a local level. How do Bernie? How do do local communities? Will how will they be facilitated to input into the uh, and decisions around how their local rivers are managed uh, in the next river basin management planning cycle? Will there be an opportunity there for them to to engage, uh, or has that been decided yet? Um, definitely, yes. Um, we're preparing our teams are preparing at the moment now for the public public consultation. Uh, we expect the plan, draft plan, to be available imminently in the coming months. And after that, there'll be a six-month public consultation period. The department itself will roll out a national uh, consultation, so you can go online or you can submit in various ways. But then we'll be hosting um, at least what we did last time was at every municipal district area, we hosted um, one public meeting. So in total, we had over 120 public meetings nationally. Um, and we propose to do something similar again. Now, we don't know, obviously, with COVID, whether we can go back in and have our town hall meetings. And these would be, if we do the, these, they would be widely advertised and open to everybody. We also, our local authority colleagues, will engage with the elected members and, and uh, their contacts. And they would be at formal uh, uh, council meetings. Um, so we will have these public meetings, whether it's by Zoom or in person, um, but we also are looking at maybe other methods of engaging and looking at some more high-tech methods, uh, maybe coming into an online room and being able to comment on the plan. <clears throat> Basically, what will happen at a meeting then, we'll outline uh, what's coming down, 
um, what's in the plan, but basically just a couple of the basic topics. But really what we're trying to find out is what are the issues that communities are finding on the ground? Um, because we know a lot of the technical issues, but we're always, you know, you, you'll always get a, a different aspect or different um, information. And communities are really valuable with local information, even in terms of our catchment science team out and about. Um, we have public uh, meetings, uh, we consult with the local community, and it's amazing what they know about their local areas, and even that the science um, or that we haven't picked up in terms of our mapping, etc. So we'll be, we'll be getting listening to communities, they'll be able to make submissions, and we'll be taking back comments as well, and we'll be anal analysing that and feeding it back up to the department. Does that make sense to you, Mark? Yes, thank you. Uh, the question here in relation to the level of understanding of how, uh, amongst farmers, of how uh, their actions can impact on water quality and the, the possibility on, and advisability of insisting that there would be training in place for farmers uh, in relation to, to, to water quality and their impact, uh, sorry, and their impact on it. Yeah, I know there's been a lot done already, but just um, I don't think um, the, the, the message, I don't think they understand the basics that their farm is a tributary of the stream. Every farm and, and underground tanks, there's drainage underneath there. So what the farmer sees on the surface uh, is not what um, is happening necessarily in terms of water quality. So just in terms of the basic farmyard, I think there's a, there's a there's an education piece to be done there. Um, we're still if we're still finding as as my case study now. I know it's gone back a few years, but I know it's sort of fairly matched the figures that the Department of Agriculture are finding. But if we're still finding that there's 25, 30 percent non-compliances in terms of um, leaky farmyards, say. We've got a big problem. As I say, we're using up this capacity. This is similar to the capacity, the headroom in the river that allows us to do what we need to do. That needs, you know, the the the, the dilution that's needed for treated effluents, etc. So it's 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 breaking. It's losing this. And I do believe um, it's something that needs to be learned on the farm. So whether it's ambassador farmers, peer-to-peer -peer learning discussion groups, um, it needs to be done on the farm. Um, and look at it, it's very basic, um, but when once something is highlighted, uh, then, you know, people look in the drain and be able to trace back to the farm. If, if we go out, if an inspector goes out, we look at the drain first, nearly before we look at the farmyard. It's no point, you could eat your dinner off some farmyards, but if the drainage, if the silage effluent is leaking into a, um, a, a gully or an underground drain or seeping underground under a concrete or whatever, seeping away in a broken drain underneath, you have a serious problem where everything looks good on the surface. So it's, it's taking that 3D look at a farmyard and also looking at that concept to the source pathway receptor model, looking at the linkages. So you've got your sources here. Is there any pathways I have to address? What are the pathways? Where are the escape routes? And then what does my river or drain look like? Does take a little bit of a trained eye to be able to know straight off, but uh, some of it's quite obvious um, uh, when, you, when your drain is, is dirty or contaminated. Bernie, the Department of sorry, uh, the Bernie Department of Agriculture have just uh, launched a, um, a, a pilot uh, agri environmental scheme called REAP, 
Um, and, and obviously this is a kind of an interim measure until the, the main common agricultural policy is uh, the next round is, is put in place. Are there measures that you think could uh, be implemented in the next uh, agri-environmental uh, scheme that could support those objectives of, of generating better water literacy? Um, uh, do you think that, that that's something that could, uh, could, could help to, to further the objectives of what you're doing there? Well, I think the discussion groups or that type of workshop, outdoor workshop, um, would be very valuable, and I'm sure they're going to be involved. Um, I, I think a few basic things about understanding the value of the, the field margins and the river corridors. Uh, we need we need training around that. Um, I was very impressed. Um, I've somebody I touch base with who who might have been a so what a number of years ago touch base re uh, regularly with them <clears throat> and they were saying they were to a discussion group and it was the first time they had a full discussion group on biodiversity uh, and again they were outdoors in the field with with somebody talking about biodiversity and uh, they said to me one of the colleagues said you know I have an area I wouldn't mind putting in a little uh, bit of forestry in and another colleague said I have an area that I could convert to wetland so I think it takes very little interaction with people who understand their lands to be able to see opportunities um, where they might enhance biodiversity or break these pathways and get double gains for biodiversity and water quality. Again, the new maps will be available on the delivery points. Um, they can be ground truthed by who's ever organising the new scheme. Um, but I, I, there's lots of opportunities there to build in some of these new measures, definitely. Just a question there about the, the knowledge of, of farmers and others about the uh, the water quality of their lo their local streams and uh, and rivers. Uh, how good is that knowledge? Uh, how available is the information for people to to uh, I suppose improve their knowledge of, of the status and of the issues that are are there in their local area? Well, there is a very good resource, uh, catchments.ie. <clears throat> um, and there's mapping there, all, all the available mapping is available and a lot of the science as it becomes available is being made available on catchments.ie. Now I suppose, now whether an individual farmer will, will go in, I suppose um, they may need, I would suggest that the ag advisors um, and all these trusted intermediaries that may be dealing with, you know, the dairy co-op advisor, who's ever dealing with the farmers, should be familiar with where to get the information. Certainly, its information is there at, at water quality level. You can zone into your local water body. If you have your air code, you can go in and look at the maps. You look and look at the water quality section or water status section. You could put in your air code and you can zoom into your local area and you can begin to ask questions then. I mean, ideally, every individual person, I mean, if it was something then it was brought up at a, at a local meeting or discussion group, and then you could get somebody in if a little bit extra interpretation was needed in terms of um, interpreting, further interpreting the local, the data for the local area. But it would mean upskilling more of the, of the trusted intermediaries that work with farmers. The okay, so I, I suppose the, the, the message there is to people to, to just 
uh, even for the intermediaries to know what the, the water quality status is in the area that they are operating in and, and to try and make farmers aware that there is a problem and the problem is A, B and C. Yeah, and what's also important is um, on the same mapping system, you can bring up a layer of um, abstractions. So you could find out if you're in a water supply catchment. Um, the exercise we're doing at the GAA clubs is that's one of the exercises we've um, we're, we're giving them directions how to use their, their area, how to zoom into the map. And then the next question for them to ask is, am I in a water supply catchment? And the idea being there is that if they're in a water supply catchment, then as a club, they might question what herbicides am I using? And is there any connection to the local water course? So definitely there's lots of layers of information there that would be really valuable for people um, take on board so if they know the quality in general and they know then if they're in water supply area maybe that will give rise to a new conversation about the local water there's a, a comment coming through here bernie i think it should be taken as a compliment it, it uh, says here while doing my green cert course i would have loved a talk from bernie uh, excellent speaker and the information provider brings alive all the books and documents so uh, there's a, a comment from a young farmer, I take it, uh, that's out there. Um, we're getting a lot of questions uh, there. Uh, some people looking for advice there around how, you know, if, if they do notice uh, somebody, uh, a neighboring farmer or somebody who isn't uh, adhering to the, the rules, how, how do you handle that situation? Because we know, and this is a discussion we had with Jenny Deacon, that you know, vast majority of farmers are adhering to the, the regulations, but it's the occasional um, person, whether it be out of just not knowing, but just uh, is is uh, not maybe adhering to to the, the, the rules and regulations. How, how does one deal with that? Yeah, well, just based on my own experience in dealing with farmers previously, they like the system to be fair. So if they're doing their best, they want to know that somebody who is completely ignoring the rules and, and uh, that can be dealt with. And that's one of the irritations that, that's out there if that's not being dealt with. Now, people don't like complain about their neighbors, uh, but if you feel that, look, this has gone too far, you can phone your local authority, the environment section, they will deal with complaints. Um, you, there's an app uh, available on the EPA, see it, say it, so you can take a photograph of a situation and uh, refer to the EPA and they'll transfer it on then. But phoning your local authority, uh, generally they have a very good um, complaints handling system and they'll try and resolve the issue. Okay. So again, lots of uh, positive comments coming through, uh, uh, Bernie. Uh, I suppose for those people, uh, we have quite a number of requests of people looking for uh, maybe links to those documents that you referred to in your presentation. Perhaps we could get those links from you and we could send them on to, to uh, those people who are attending today uh, because there's some really excellent information available out there. It's just a, a question of pointing people in the right direction. Maybe you could help us with that, Bernie. Thank you. Uh, I, there's a question there in terms of the nature and types of some of the, the projects that have come in uh, and examples of, of some of the more uh, impactful uh, projects that have come in under the, the fund? Okay, well, it, the initial projects um, can be quite basic and simple. It could be something like a river cleanup, um, that type 
that type of, uh, even a bench by the river. And I'll come back to the bench in a minute. But um, as people begin to understand um, what's affecting the water quality, we had a lovely example in Ashburn with Ashburn Tidy Towns. Um, and Ashburn Tidy Towns came in to us with a proposal for to take on a consultant to look at all the pipes coming into the river and determine what was, what was coming down the pipes. Were they clean water pipes? Were they storm overflows? Uh, were they contaminated pipes? So the consultant prepared the report um, and then the community then took that to the Irish Water and took it to the local authority. So both Irish Water was able to recognise, yes, this is something uh, is on our system, we'll deal with that. And the local authority was able to maybe look at some issues with contaminated storm waters. I don't know how it resulted in the end, but that was quite a nice high-end uh, project coming in early on. Um, I'll go back to the, um, the bench by the river. Um, and some people just wanted that connection, that local that connection with the river. And, and being out in the river and being able to access it as an amenity area is really important to people too. So following on the bench on the river, the community stayed engaged with the project. Then they decided to undertake an ecological survey of the river corridor and then do a bit of planting to plant a supplement with native species. And then a follow on with that was that somebody was coming to do work with the river with Digger uh, and later on or at another location and the same community were, were able to say, hold on, you can't go in there, it's not right. You know, you'll have to talk to X, Y or Z. So um, in terms of other projects then, there's, there's river restoration, maybe replacing some of the, um, <clears throat> the fish habitat in rivers. Bankside vegetation, planting and restoration. Uh, you saw an example there earlier, bank erosion. That would be quite a complicated project. <clears throat> Obviously, you have to get the landowners involved. You have to check with regard to um, protected areas. Um, you have to work with the fisheries, etc., etc. Um, so we are getting a range of projects, but as we say, they're increasing in nature. A lot of it's training in citizen science and. People don't necessarily want to go to meetings, if you know what I mean, be part of a committee, but they don't mind getting out and doing a cleanup or going out and learn how to uh, check the bugs in the river to be able to tell about the water quality. They like doing stuff on the ground. So there's a lot of projects around that end. And then when they build the knowledge on the river, then they want to know what they can do about it. So it's, um, there's, there's a projects in themselves maybe for another day but there's very interesting stuff coming in okay uh bernie it's uh, just after half 10 now i don't know where that hour went Re i found your in your presentation really fascinating and uh, a, a, a different perspective than we've heard so far uh, during the series so thank you again for the time and effort you've gone to in preparing for today so um, just a reminder to, to everybody, if you want to get a, a, another look at today's uh, webinar, you can view it on the Chagask YouTube channel, uh, or indeed you can go to the Chagask website. And of course, we, we have the Chagask Signpost uh, webinar podcast, where you can listen back on any of the, uh, the webinars that have been broadcast so far, uh, and they're available on all of the, the, uh, the uh, podcast platforms. So I just want to say thank you to our production team, Andy Boland and Yvonne Maher. Uh, Pass, thanks for helping with questions. Uh, Bernie, thanks again. You've been listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost series, the weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. 
Don't forget to join us live every Friday morning for our latest webinar. For more, visit chagisk.ie. And you can also rate, review, and subscribe to the Signpost series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Mark Gibson, and thanks for listening.